You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Let's have a look at a piece of data from the South African economy. The piece of data is the August manufacturing or factory output. Factory output, it says here, contracted for a 15th month in August, according to Stats SA, even as coronavirus lockdown measures were eased, allowing activity to resume in the sector. Output fell 10.8% compared with a revised 10.2% decline in July. And the report was out this morning, and I don't think many people would be very surprised about it, but maybe I'm wrong. Annabel Bishop is the chief economist at Investec in Johannesburg. Were you surprised by this, Annabel? Lindsay, I'll tell you what I'm not surprised about, and that is that, you know, really um, going into the third quarter, the July figure, for example, you know, certainly when you're having an, you know, a very full opening up of the economy for all intents and purposes, you know, you're going to have some pent-up demand. And I think, you know, that's why we've been seeing these rapidly approving figures, really, you know, May, June, July, August seeing less of an improvement, yes, from a month-on-month perspective, still seeing an improvement, but really on a year-on-year basis, actually a bit worse. And I'll tell you why I'm not surprised about that. And that's that, you know, you have initial pent-up demand, people who wanted stuff done, stuff produced, and lockdown came along and there was this pent-up demand. And of course, now that that's wearing out of the system, it's not surprising that you're starting to get this uneven or patchy data coming through, where, you know, the, the, the very strong recovery just doesn't continue. And I think that was expected in any case for the third quarter. But, you know, this sounds about right to me, down about 10%, you know, still. Do you think that some organisations, some factories, some entities, that's probably the best word, some entities are using the coronavirus, the COVID-19 pandemic, to actually scale back production that was unprofitable and they would have possibly had a difficult time selling it to the unions at any other time? Or is that a conspiracy theory? I believe, and I believe that contrary to a lot of opinion, we weren't in a technical recession before COVID-19. We're actually in a structural recession. And to really explain that, you know, we were in recession in the last two quarters of last year due, yes, to a lot of electricity um, supply issues, but to many other supply-side problems as well. And, of course, the huge regulatory burden, inefficiency of the state, and, of course, the negative impact on investor confidence that's, you know, is prevalent both due, again, to these policies and regularly influence, but, of course, as well, also, you know, a number of other factors, whether it was corruption, et cetera, low business confidence in general. And, of course, you know, the first quarter of this year, also seeing a contraction as well. And, you know, likely we would have had a very weak year anyway. But of course, COVID-19 caused you to have a catastrophically weak year. And yes, I think a lot of people were thinking about scaling back anyway, even before COVID-19 came along. Yes. And of course, yes, there, there will have been instances of people who perhaps thought, well, here it is now, this is just the end and we're going to <clears throat> shut down a production line or I suppose um, shut down you know, an entire unit or you know, even worse, a factory. And of course, you know, there, there will definitely be instances in that. I wouldn't say it's entirely prevalent, but I'd say rather it's probably a symptom of a bigger problem that we were in a structural decline over the past decade. I mean, you saw economic growth drop from 3.3% in 2011 down last year to about um, just just above zero. And of course, this year, I, I feel it could have actually been a year of contraction, <clears throat> very mild, very small, but nevertheless, a structural decline, perpetuating that structural decline since 2011. COVID-19, of course, has overlaid upon it and obscured everything. But yes, there could have well have been instances of probably the most worrying of all has been that ongoing structural decline. Yes, indeed. So what's happened is that COVID-19, <laughs> the pandemic, has hastened the decline and, uh, and sort of brought forward policies that were already in place. That's what you're saying. And that's very true, because if you look at something like, I mean, the example is British Airways uh, and Air France withdrawing aircraft from its fleet. It, it was scheduled 
for maybe two to three years hence. But in fact, they've done it now because there's no point in keeping these aircraft going. It's an interesting point. What does this mean for GDP, gross domestic product in South Africa? Because I think the Reserve Bank is forecasting something like a, I don't know, a 40 to 50 percent increase in GDP off a very low base. Uh, does this impact that forecast at all, do you think? I think it's probably too optimistic. We, we're probably looking for closer to 30%. Again, you know, we'd certainly point out that just because we've won a good month doesn't imply that you're going to have, you know, an entirely strong quarter because, again, of this pent-up demand that's being released. And, of course, you know, bear in mind as well that there's a huge number of individuals, massive numbers that are unemployed, even if Statistics likes to obfuscate it and say that they are now not economically active instead. So <clears throat> instead of seeing an unemployment rate of 23% from 30% in the first quarter, we believe it actually probably rose to about 40%. So, you know, from 30 to 40%, and of course, that's going to have a negative impact on demand. We, we don't see such a strong bounce back in the third quarter, but certainly we, we see an improvement, you know, double digits, as I said, around 30%. Looking forwards, I think the fourth quarter will be weak, and I think it's going to take several years, not one, not two, but several years before we recoup ourselves to the point where we can actually have the same level of economic activity as we had even in the first quarter of this year. What a daunting prospect, uh, two to three years and maybe even beyond. Let's talk about PMI. There seems to be differing opinions. PMI does one thing and factory output uh, does another. How do you explain that? Look, I think, again, you know, I'd certainly, you know, indicate that there is that pent-up demand that's pushing it through those new orders, etc. But bear in mind as well, you know, Lindsay, a lot of these statistics are not as good as they used to be. Not just the unemployment statistics because, um, you know, of the problems we mentioned, but also because as well of collection issues. <clears throat> and here we're talking about surveys sent out and not fully completed by the same number of firms that used to complete them before. Either yeah. the firms are no longer in business or, of course, you know, have just chosen not to respond. Perhaps they themselves are not too sure whether they're going to be operational or not and, you know, not necessarily responding. So you're getting a very different environment. States to say at least did say that the data is not necessarily comparable. Of course, you know, in the PMI as well, it's more of an optimism measure. But most importantly of all, and I think this is perhaps the difference with the PMI, the PMI talks to increases in manufacturing activity month on month. So yes, we still had an increase of 3.6% month on month in August. That was an increase. It's positive. It rose. And hence the PMI above 50. The same for the month of July. Again, 5.9% increase month on month. Again, a positive PMI, quite appropriate. And of course, you know, big PMIs. You know, when we start getting to the point where you're seeing maybe one 0.5% move between the months, that, that's when your PMIs really start to come down back towards the 50 mark. And, you know, such as a statistical base effect. And I think, you know, that's part what you're seeing as well. Let's look forward to the midterm budget policy statement, which will be one like no other that has ever been delivered. Again, I don't know how many times we've said this over the years, Annabelle, or rather how many times I've said this to you, an incredibly difficult juggling act for the finance minister. Yes, and of course, you know, the big issue really is that there's very little room for infrastructure spend. There's this massive overexpenditure on civil servant salaries and wages. And by that, we mean that accounts for 34% of the budget. You know, that along with, um, <clears throat> you know, other priorities like social welfare spending, certainly. But of course, as well, you know, along with the debt servicing costs, free um, fees, that, that really just eats up the entire budget. And of course, you know, the, the crux of the matter is if we get a cut 
in the expenditure on civil servant salaries and wages, we will see a huge rally in the RAND. We will see a big improvement in bond yields. And you know, the, the reality of the situation is investors, whether they're foreign but local as well, are very concerned about the rising credit risk in South Africa. And of course, as you and I both know, as your credit risk rises, that means people see you as less credit worthy. You know, your chance of default starts to increase on a long-term basis. And these are all factors that worry investors. We see this in the massive spread, the difference between the <clears throat> um, yield curve, you know, from a short, short end to the mid to long end. And, you know, this difference, you know, these higher bond yields in the mid to long end, this is a big worry for South Africa. It pushes up the borrowing costs even further. It makes it unsustainable. And, of course, you know, brings us closer to a fiscal cliff. So that's really what people are going to be prioritizing when they look at this budget. The credit rating agencies are due to give us their view around about the 20th of November. And, of course, again, it's going to be absolutely crucial whether they actually cut back or not. And, you know, the reality of the situation is we, we cannot actually continue on this path. It's not sustainable. And South Africa is moving closer. Yes, the credit rating agencies are downgrading us towards single B and then, of course, into C and so on. But Africa will move closer to a debt default, even if just partial or, you know, coming under IMF adjustment, if we don't actually get to the point where we can – Stop, you know, increasing civil servants' salaries and remuneration to such a big extent, yes, but also cut expenditure in other areas while it's unnecessary and wasteful. We just have not been, you know, using the monies that we get from a revenue perspective to meet our expenditure. We've just been borrowing for current expenditure. So with that backdrop that you've just painted so eloquently, how important is the MTBPS this year? Probably just about as important as every year. <laughs> but I think, you know, this year it's, it's quite crucial because it's the um, <clears throat> perhaps third iteration of the budget. And, you know, rating agencies are really going to be hoping for us to get it right. I mean, Moody's already said they're, they're looking to downgrade us. You know, they're on double B plus equivalent of BA1. And, of course, looking to drop us to the double B level, I would expect in November. That's certainly my view that's going to happen from the Moody's perspective. You know, the risk is that. Fetch drops us down from the double B towards a double B minus. And of course, <clears throat> S&P really has us on a double B minus for one of the ratings. And of course, you know, that these long-term sovereign uh, debt ratings, of course, you know, could start you know, moving to C grade category. And I think the realization just hasn't dropped with government. You know, there's still a huge portion, certainly the, the left-wingers, you know, the people within the ANC or other parts of the alliance, you know, who just don't get what's happening from a government finance perspective. So I would say it actually has become quite crucial. Probably every year it becomes more and more crucial because yeah. of rather than the risk. Annabelle, thanks very much for your analysis. That's Annabelle Bishop, the Chief Economist at Investec in Johannesburg. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.